This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Insulet, makers of the Omnipod, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. Welcome to episode 53 of the podcast. Today's podcast is with Terry. He's a gentleman who reached out to me and wanted to be on the show, and I'm so glad he did. Terry and I talk about a number of different things, but we really get into the heart of how he manages his type 1 diabetes over 30 years. It is going to be of insane interest to anyone, whether you have a child who was just diagnosed or you're a person living with diabetes yourself or anywhere in between, this information is is going to be a great conversation for you to listen to. Very important for me to remind you right now that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast is advice, medical or otherwise. Terry and I are going to speak at length at points about how he and I manage type 1 diabetes. It is not advice, people. It's just a conversation. You have a doctor, go talk to them. Okay, you ready? Let's get right to it. Terry rocks. You know how sometimes I say, if you want to be on the Juice Box podcast, just contact me? Well, that's what Terry did. Hey, Scott. Terry, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. I'm sorry, I'm a couple minutes behind. I, I apologize. That's okay. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not very well versed at Skype, so I've only done it a few times, but uh, it appears to be a pretty easy technology. Yeah, your voice is coming through and you're recording, so I say we're good. Good. You do listen to the podcast, so uh, you know you're. One I of the, have. Yeah, you're one of the people who just reached out and said I'd like to do it, and so you know I, I kind of keep it loose. We're just going to start off and. And, uh, and just have a nice conversation and, and see where it takes us. That sounds great. So, Terry, uh, let's start by... I'm, we're using your first name. If not, I'll edit that out, I guess. No, no, that's fine. Terry's oh. fine. Okay, Terry, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and your relationship with diabetes. Okay, um, it was 32 years ago when I was 30 years old, so you can do the arithmetic on my age. Um, I was diagnosed, actually, it was in January of that year um, with type 1 diabetes. Um, it seemed to come out of nowhere. There's no family uh, history of type 1 diabetes. Um, I was, you know, young and fit, not overweight, uh, an avid, uh, downhill skier. I was, uh, kind of in a, a career transition mode. I was, I was, uh, I returned to school for a two year electronics program. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did the, the fall quarter before my diagnosis, I did really well. And then my second quarter I got in the classroom, it was after Christmas and I couldn't understand any of the concepts. <laughs> That's it was interesting. Like it, it so was your like blood sugar was high enough that you were yes. you just couldn't concentrate. Yes. In my my normal mode in the previous quarter, I would sit in the back of the class and just kind of hang out there, and I was fine. I was picking up everything, and that's just just the mode and the place I like to be. Yeah. Well, I couldn't see the couldn't see the blood the chalkboard anymore. You know, that's when they use chalkboards. So I had to move to the front, and I still couldn't understand. My cognitive ability was impaired, and I was. You know, finally, when my eyesight uh, got really blurry, that, that was what, you know, drove me to the doctor. Right. And, and, and so we're talking about 30-some years ago, rough math, 80s, 90s? 84. 84, 84. Okay. Jan January 84. And, and then, at that time, type 1 diabetes is not something you would expect to get at that late part of your life. No, and most of the medical people were the same way. They didn't understand the type. They, they, their understanding was that type 1 diabetes was diagnosed at a young age. Right. And then, and then so were, were they able to, once you found yourself at a doctor, did they get right to diabetes? Or did, did you have to take kind of a, a strange path to figure it out? No. Actually, I went to a general practitioner, a doctor I had seen for, for other things. Mm -hmm. And he was young. Uh, he was probably just maybe five years older than me, um, and he was bright, and he figured it out. I just, I'm, I'm to this day, I'm grateful that he correctly diagnosed me with type one diabetes right away. So quickly, and I remember him saying, he says, "Well, you're not the, you're not the right age." He says, "But you just all the symptoms." And so, at that time, they didn't have any antibody tests, 
uh, at least none that I knew of, and did, never received. So I, you know, looking back, I, I can now say that I, I have uh, latent autoimmune diabetes uh, of adulthood mm-hmm. uh, because I can look back a year to two prior to my diagnosis, and I had diabetes symptoms back then. Um, After so, you were diagnosed, did you go through that protracted amount of time where you didn't really need very much insulin at first? Yes, it was. It was when I started taking uh, um, insulin, and I was on uh, injecting. Uh, um, first, I was just I was injecting MPH, which is kind of an intermediate acting uh, insulin, mm-hmm. uh, once a day. That was my initial regimen, um, and I had a. The BG strip, they call them chem strips. So they had uh, two little pads on the end of a st- uh, strip, and they turned colors after a certain amount of time. And then you compare them to the to the uh, vial uh, color panel. And I was doing pretty well. I would I would have some after meal high blood sugars, so I noticed that. But I my my blood sugar numbers overall did not seem to go out of range a lot. Okay. And I remember thinking, I thought, well, if this is all I have to do, this diabetes is not so bad. <laughs> I, mean, I, I got over the injections pretty quickly. Um, but the control issue seems like, well, this, this is not, not, not so hard. No kidding. Oh, and because that's, was, that was the expectation, too, is you were going to just inject this insulin and, and test you know, periodically. And it, it, yes. it, it's not like it is. Now, at what point, as the technology is changing... Did you change along with it, or did you kind of stay where you were? Where are you now? Like, how do you manage now? Well, I, what I, I manage now, I, I use an insulin pump. Um, I use a, a Dexcom CGM. Mm-hmm. Um, I started insulin pump pretty early. I was in 1987. Uh, so it was three years post-diagnosis that I went on the pump. Um, I was using meters in the... The electronic meters came up pretty quickly after those BG chem strips I was using. Okay. Um, and then they would give you a digital readout, and that was, you know, quite an improvement. Um, and that was in the years between 84 and 87. Um, so that's – and I, I've, I've become, you know, quite the finger sticker. Um, I, I'm not shy about or hesitant about using uh, test strips. Uh, I use between 10 and 15 a day on average, even though I'm on a CGM. Right. I'm still sticking a lot. And what's uh, your desire? I mean, I, I think I know, but, but you're testing a lot, plus you have a CGM. Your desire is to, is to maintain as average and normal of a blood sugar as you possibly can? Well, right now I have, I have four uh, primary goals for my blood sugar. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a data nerd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love to watch the data. Right. I, I like to look at graphs. I like to upload my meter. Uh, I like to upload all my diabetes tech, which I, as far as I understand, I'm in a very small minority that does that. And I think you're, you're in that cohort as well. Yeah. Um, now I forgot where I was going with you, that. You what said you that? had four kind of four tenements to, to, Oh yeah. I, I have, I have four goals. Um, in the order of importance, my number one gold standard goal is time in range. Mm-hmm. Um, my target range is 65 to 140. Um, I want to be I want to be at least 80 percent of my time. This is as you know from CGM CGM five minute dots that you that you get. Yeah. Um, I want to I want to spend 80 percent of my time in that range. My next most important goal is time low, uh, which is anything under 65 for me. And I want that to be less than 5%. Um, and then my third one is variability as measured by standard deviation. And I want my standard deviation to be uh, less than or equal to 30 milligrams per deciliter. And my fourth goal is my average BG. Um, and I want that to be uh, at, at 105 or less. Okay. And how, how close, how frequently, are you seeing an endo quarterly? I see an endo quarterly. Yes. And how frequently are you around your goals? I'm. I, I kind of go in and out. Like I have the four goals. Sometimes I'm only getting two or four. Mm-hmm. Right now, for my last fourteen days, I'm I'm four or four. I'm hitting a real sweet spot in all my numbers. Um, I, I I'm over ninety percent uh, time in range. My my time low is only about three percent. Standard deviation is around twenty three. 
And my average, I mean, the 14-day average is at 103. Wow. What's that as an oh, A1C? That's It's a, equivalent to 5.2. 5.2. Wow. And so it, how did you... How did you teach yourself all of this? Was it the data that brought you to it? or It was a long, slow path, uh, and I was not fast. I was not quick on the uptake. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I was doing lots of finger sticks and, and paying attention to delivering insulin, the first 28 years of my career with, with diabetes, it was primarily I, – I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to respond to it and stay healthy, but I didn't want to give it too much of my time and attention. So I basically strong-armed it with insulin and exercise. I was really big on bicycling for most of those years. Okay. And I found with a lot of bicycling and, and – and as much insulin as I wanted to use, you know, if I got a high blood sugar, I would just hammer it with insulin. Right. But a lot during that time, I spent a lot of time going up and down. My my blood glucose variability, probably as measured by standard deviation, was probably about 60, 60 to eighty. So that means that you know two thirds of my uh, my my time uh, uh, time with blood sugar was was uh, plus or minus like sixty. Of my average, you know, if my average was 130, then two thirds of my time was between 190 and 70, and it it that I was not that cued into it. So, do you think that were you, so you were kind of sort of on the roller coaster then? Like you were, if you got yes. high, you'd really have. So there was not a lot of finesse to what you were doing. No, there wasn't, and I was I was very good at anticipating lows, and 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 treating lows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, you know, I was just screaming down, almost like an airplane on a, uh, you know, ready to, ready to crash. Uh, and then I would, you know, lift it up at the last second and, and survive and then go way high. And it just was, it was, was not a good way to live. It's tiring. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it. That was 28 years I spent doing that. Right. Yeah. I, and so uh, how long have you had the, the that, that makes me wonder, how long do you have the glucose monitor for? Um, uh, September of 2009. Is, so this, is this the beginning or, of you understanding? Yes. Well, the, the real awakening came um, before 09. It was probably more about 06, 07. Mm-hmm. My, my standard operating uh, uh, manner of, of just dominating, over-dominating my, my blood glucose with uh, insulin was that the insulin stopped doing, was stopped being as effective as it was. And so my total daily usage was going up and up and up, was going up from about 40 up to about 80 units per day. And my control was a lot worse. I was very alarmed. I didn't feel well. I had gained weight. Um, I I thought that there was something seriously wrong with me, such as cancer or something. Like beyond the diabetes, it was getting that bad. Because, I, I mean, I would take a correction and it would do nothing. It just and it, it just was you know it was amazing to me because I know how powerful insulin was and I had you had it for many years and I I knew my what my response was, but unbeknownst to me at the time I became insulin resistant, and I I you know I was I was I was in crisis mode right. and I was going to doctor I was going to the endos making extra appointments you know what's going on what I was I, I got no help. Uh, not one doctor brought up the the, the insulin resistant thing. I, maybe the, he thought it was type two diabetes thing. Um, and I, I went through some diagnosis. I even I was even going to go to an MRI to test my uh, uh, what is the, the the gland that sits at the base of your brain? Is pituitary. that pituitary? Yeah, I thought I had pituitary cancer. You know, I was, I was researching stuff on the internet. And I figured all oh, these my symptoms match. And uh, I finally talked to a, uh, a relative, a young relative of mine is also a doctor. And he says, he says well, I don't know. He said, you should, you should rule out the, the more common things first. I hear your dog. Basil, yeah, Basil. you've been so quiet all morning. <laughs> Basil, please. Yeah. So r- rule out the most common things first. And rule out the most common thing first yeah. and then go for the more. Uh, the, the, the big ticket items. <laughs> but yeah, well, the ones that are, uh, you know, not, not as probable. Right, right. And so I, when I got that advice, I just called up and I canceled the MRI. And I, I, you know, I went through two or three doctors during this period. You're in a panic. 
Oh, I kept thinking my, my attitude towards doctors at the time was that they're the experts, especially right. the endocrinologists, and they should know how to deal with this. And I, I just was, you know, I was feeling terrible. I was, I was overweight. I just, everything was foggy. I couldn't think straight. Um, and I was getting no, and this was going on for like two, three years. Yeah. A long time. Um, and I, I, I finally in 2012, I got the, the, the CGM in 2009 and that helped that probably dropped my A1C by about, I was, I was as high as eight and a half percent and that probably got me down to the low sevens. Okay. So it was a benefit and I was starting to learn what my blood glucose patterns were, which was, which was helpful, but I still did not make a breakthrough. Um, and in 2011, I retired. And so I no longer had to spend my attention and energy on a job. And then I got this diabetes complication diagnosis in early 2012. And what was um, that? And that's gastroparesis, which is, uh, they diagnosed with a, um, a, a stomach emptying test. They, they feed you some uh, uh, scrambled eggs with a radioactive isotope. And then they can trace that as it goes through your system. And I went down to the Mayo Clinic down, at, down in Phoenix mm-hmm. for this test. Because I had one done locally, and it came up negative. It was not too long before that. So I went down to the Mayo, Mayo Clinic and highly impressed with how they do business down there. And they diagnosed me with delayed stomach emptying or gastroparesis. Um, he's characteristic as mild, but not insignificant. Okay. And how, so, did that affect, how does that affect you? Well, I was, I was getting, uh, you know, uh, upset stomach. And I was having a lot of GI upset, a lot of diarrhea. Um, so it was, it was really kind of nasty to live with. And <clears throat> so there I was. I was a, a year past my retirement. And my, my retirement dreams had always been that I was going to have all this time. I was going to travel. I was going to have hobbies. I was going to be able to keep up with far-flung family and friends. Um, and instead and, you got diarrhea. <laughs> Well, not not just that. I was I was looking into the to the gaping maw of of this slow downward slide right. into just disability, and 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 a, a painful demise. Right, right. And so I I had been participating online uh, for quite a few years before that, and uh, I I mostly go to the uh, the two diabetes site, and there had been a lot of. Uh, back and forth, you know, controversy about uh, this low-carb, high-fat way of eating, basically low-carb restriction right. as, as, a, as a way to treat diabetes. And I, I watched this debate for two years, and I thought, you know, maybe I should try that. But I, I, my, always the second thought was, that's too much of a pain in the tail. I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I like bread. I like rice. I like potatoes. I don't want to give that stuff up. But then when I got this, this diabetes complication diagnosis, I thought, Maybe, you know, if not now, when? Sure. Uh, maybe I should just try it out and see what would happen. It was, it was May 1st, uh, 2012. I just went whole hog. I, I, I basically made this compact with myself that I was going to do whatever diabetes demanded to answer it. I was going to do everything within my power, no matter how long it took, no matter how inconvenient it was. Uh, and that meant reading research and study articles online. That meant, you know, following this, the, the, the other diabetes peers online. Um, if it needed a special diet, I was going to do that diet, what, whatever it took to normalize my blood glucose. So I did the, the carb restrictions and I was, it just bowled me over. I was, it was unbelievable how well it worked. Um, and I was, I was not doing like the Dr. Bernstein, 30 grams of carbs a day. I just cut back from my 250, 250 grams a day yeah. down to like 100, which was quite drastic, but it was not. You, it's you not still, nothing. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. Still can eat, you can still eat the occasional bread or cracker or, or a small portion of potatoes. Or, and, and I couldn't believe how well my blood sugar reacted. Um, and especially my blood sugar variability, that, that, that glucose roller coaster was calmed right down. Um, and I, this, is, this is what really amazed me. 
from I went from using about eighty units of insulin a day down to using about forty. You're back to where you started. I lost I lost twenty five pounds, and I I was not even trying. I was trying to get my blood glucose in a in a good range. Right, right. I was not in a weight loss mindset, and the weight just rolled off. And for me, I had tried to lose weight my entire adult life and never lost more than five or 10 pounds and always put it right back on. Mm -hmm. And I lost this weight. Um, and, you know, like I said, the, the blood glucose variability went down. And I, I also started walking. Uh, I got a pedometer and I, I walked uh, almost every day, uh, two to five miles, a habit I've kept up with. Um, so this was kind of like a renaissance for me. I, I, all of a sudden, I discovered that I could control my diabetes, and I finally figured it out. I thought, this was insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. This was gaining weight as a type 1 diabetic and developing insulin resistance, and then you just kind of go into a downward spiral. All kinds of bad things happen. It's crazy that a doctor couldn't have that conversation. Well, this is yeah. my emotional response to this was I was very angry. Yeah. I thought, all these guys are doing are running around in their white lab coats with a clipboard documenting my demise right so i'll have real good records of, of how i went down the slippery slope <laughs> and then you know met my end and i thought this is horrible yeah these people should have the answer and now i'm, I'm a little bit more moderate I, I i see the place for doctors but i i my eyes have definitely been opened it's, it's kind of like kind of like the scene in the wizard of oz when toto pulls the curtain back and Dor Dorothy and friends see, oh, this is just a big scam. You had a very, uh, a very personal awakening. That's for certain. Did you? Uh, yes. Do you stick with the? It, how's your diet now? Is it a mixture? Are you still right around 100 carbs a day? No, I'm actually less. I'm probably more around 50 carbs a day. Okay. I, I went from I went from 100 down to 75, down to 50, down to 30 for a long time, back up to 50. You know what? I don't have a, a, a bright line of demarcation. I don't count my, uh, my grams of carbs uh, uh, specifically every day. I just know that I need to limit you know, certain, certain portions. What feels right. Um, yeah. Like, if, like for Thanksgiving dinner, I, I won't have more than a half a cup of potatoes. That's it. And I'm not going to eat the bread. And, and if I have rice, again, I wouldn't have it the same meal as potatoes, but I might have half a cup. That's where, it. Where do you get your carbs from then if you're not eating those things? Um, uh, vegetables. Um, I, I do, I, I have, a, um, uh, like for breakfast, I often have like one half of a uh, English muffin mm -hmm. and I cut that half in half. And uh, that's 12 grams of carbs and that's, that's my, my carb limit. So I, I eat a lot of, you know, eggs and, uh, and meat and uh, vegetables and I have, you know, berries are, are, are super, super fruit to eat as a diabetic because they have a lot of, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, not roughish, but, uh, fiber, fiber. Yeah. A lot of fiber. And I, I subtract fiber when I dose. Some people don't, I do. Um, well, you know, what's interesting is that even though you're talking about it, like it's a low carb, you know, like way of life, it's really more of a rice, potatoes, bread elimination sort of an idea well and, you know right right and and, and I, I i'm eliminating processed foods you know if it has an ingredient list i'm kind of looking at it very skeptically yeah comes in a bag or in a package you gotta it's right it's a different game and it's so funny yeah. because uh you know it, anybody who spent any time trying to control pasta rice bread that kind of stuff with insulin we'll see very quickly that it's not it's not a winning proposition, and you know if you go back to the um, to the to the episode I did with the CEO of Dexcom, and he does not have diabetes, but wore the monitor, and said that very quickly he came to the idea that there were foods he shouldn't be eating, even as a person who had a functioning pancreas, because of what right. he was seeing it do to his his um his blood sugar. I talked to Victor Garber a couple of weeks ago, and I asked Victor, "Is there foods you don't eat?" And he said, "Well, you know," and he listed the ones he can't. He's like, I just don't have a lot of luck with them with insulin. And, and I don't know that that's even, you know, like you said, there's a lot of arguing back and forth about uh, carbs and whether you want to eliminate them. And I think when people hear, you know, that you're eliminating carbs, they think, 
you know, that you're down to just having a steak for breakfast, a steak for lunch, and a steak for dinner because you have to eat meat, and, and that's what this is. They think very paleo, I think, and stuff like that. And I do think there's also a contingent of people who are kind of defensive of the idea of having to give something away because they got diabetes. Right. And, oh, and here's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, my, my philosophy with the whole carb thing, because this has been debated ad nauseum online, I've, I'm basically in the eat to your meter camp. Or, or you could say eat to your CGM. Mm-hmm. Set yourself a, t- a, a range of blood glucose that you think is acceptable to you and eat your carbs, but do it with your eyes open. Know how many you're eating, whether it's a pile of potatoes or pizza or whatever. Um, and then if it, see how high your blood sugar goes. If it's not acceptable, then start to limit that food right. or possibly even drop it. But let your meter be your guide because... diabetes is a disease of carbohydrate intolerance, pure and simple. Now, your your tolerance or your daughter's tolerance or my tolerance are probably not equal. Um, I happen to have a lower carb tolerance, I think, than a lot of people with diabetes, especially people honeymooning or or even people with type 2 diabetes. I I view it, there's a certain carb threshold. If you go over that, you're going to... It hits Control, you hard. Controlling uh, your, your blood glucose with your insulin, it's almost like pushing on a rope. <laughs> At a certain point, it stops working. Right. It doesn't, or it doesn't work as effectively. Um, so it, it's like you go down the rabbit hole, and inside is out, and up is down. Um, so I, so I, just, it, I think everybody just needs to eat to their meter, or eat to their CGM, and, and decide where their carb threshold is. And some people can definitely eat more carbs. and. I, that doesn't violate my 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 understanding of the world uh, of, of of metabolics, um, and there are people who have some native uh, insulin going on, and they they can eat more carbs, and they can get away with it, and their blood sugar doesn't go as high. And I think, well, more power to them. When you have those, <laughs> yeah. Well, when you have those carbs, sorry, do you employ any pre-bolusing or anything like that to try? Oh, to- I do. I, I have. I would consider fairly sophisticated dosing techniques. And I think you use quite a few of them. Uh, pre-bolusing is one. And I, basically, uh, if, you, if you've read the Stephen Ponder's book, the, uh, uh, Sugar Surfing, um, I wait for the bend. Um, I dose. And uh, like if I'm at 100 when I wake up and I dose my insulin, mm-hmm. I wait until I definitely can see that CGM line starting to come down. And, and that's definite, when you add food. Yes. Yeah. Then I add food. So it's like, you, you know, it's like you've always said, you know, you, you put the insulin against the food, you want it to be an even fight. You know, I think of it like two boxers in the ring and you want it to come to a draw. You don't want either one to win. Right, right. I actually, just this weekend, um, and the timeline is going to be a little messed up because tonight I'm posting my interview with, with Dr. Ponder, whose book I have not oh, read. Yeah, but, but okay. the conversation I had with him over the hour, I was like, wow, he and I are doing the same thing. It's amazing. And, yes. uh, and at the same time, yours, your episode is not going to run for a few weeks, so the timeline's going to be a little off. But um, I just did this weekend. My daughter had a sleepover with friends. And okay. they, they, you know, they get out of bed in the morning, and they want French toast, and they want, you know, uh, can we get slices of bananas and grapes and chocolate milk and French toast? And I was like, uh, Oh my gosh. And syrup too. Well, and sugar free syrup, <laughs> but still, and I was oh, still sugar, like, okay. Oh, okay. So I'm actually, I pulled it up just now to talk to you about it because I'm turning it into a, into a blog post, which again, will be up for weeks by the time you and I are live on, on, on the, sure. uh, on the internet. But so she's been growing. So around 3am like clockwork, her blood sugar kind of came up. It's a little bit my fault because I temp basiled off for a half an hour. I was trying to get a 74 to be more like a 90, and I ended up with a – three hours later at 6 a.m., I ended up with like a 150. So okay. it started to dip again, so I gave it a little more time. But around 7, it started to come back up to 150 again. I was like, okay, she's sleeping. I'm going to do something about this. So I hit her with a little bolus. And then not long later, 45 minutes later, I didn't like that I wasn't getting much action. So I hit her with another tiny little bolus. And, and it, by, by the time I was done in the course of maybe an hour and 15 minutes, I had hit her with three small boluses. Nothing yes. crazy. And, and I was trying to let her sleep. Um, yes. And so around 9 a.m., she starts to drift down. I'm like, okay, I'll be comfortable. She'll wake up at some point pretty soon, blah, blah, blah. 
Sure enough, she wakes up pretty quickly right around 9 o'clock. Hey, if you want to follow along with this little conversation about this high-carb breakfast, go to ardensday.com forward slash blog forward slash French toast to a blog post called Anatomy of a High-Carb Breakfast. And there you'll see a chart with this exact conversation so you can actually see Arden's glucose chart as we're talking about it. Okay, while you head over to the blog so you can see the graph, I'm going to tell you about the episode sponsor, Insulate. Now, you know Insulate is the maker of the Omnipod, and you know that the Omnipod is the world's only tubeless insulin pump. You know these things because you listen to the podcast. Okay, by now you've gone to ardensday.com, and you're looking at the chart from my blog post called Anatomy of a High Carb Breakfast, and you're going to see on this the multiple boluses of insulin that were given during this breakfast. Sometimes they were only a few minutes apart. Sometimes it was, you know, a half an hour since food. It was changing of basal rates. None of this is possible without Arden's insulin pump, without the Omnipod. When you when you find yourself wondering, you know, why can't I manage this this breakfast? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm injecting insulin when I'm supposed to and, you know, get really high. I'm talking about a meal with French toast. You know, it's made with eggs and bread and milk. It's got powdered sugar on it. There's sliced bananas, green grapes on the table, drinking chocolate milk, having bacon. There's no carb syrup, but stuff that sounds scary to you right now. Like, how do I handle that? It's in no small part to the ability that an insulin pump gives you. And, you know, when Arden's sitting around the table with a bunch of her friends, I'm giving her that insulin from across the room. It's not like I have to go take this device off of her belt or off the table and, and it's got this tube stuck to her. You know, insulin makes a tubeless insulin pump. So the controller works from like 20 feet away. So I can look at her CGM on my phone, decide there's a little more insulin needed, put it in then, put it in here, change the basal rate. Nobody really kind of knows. It's pretty excellent. I went a little long here on this, but I think you should head to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Insulate will send you a free non-working demo pod so you can put it on and see what it's like to wear. That way, if you want to switch from the insulin pump you have now, you have an idea of what you're doing. If you're using shots and you're worried about being connected to something, you're going to see that it's not really a very big deal at all. There's also links in the show notes and in your player. Just try it. Just do the demo and try it. And, and you're going to see that you could be handling a giant breakfast full of French toast just like me. All right, we're going to get back to Terry. I'm going to talk to him a little bit about this breakfast, and we're going to go on and keep talking to him. But I think you'll agree so far, he is insanely interesting to listen to. Um, and we're really glad he came on. And when I say we, I guess I'm just talking about me because I do the podcast by myself. I have no idea why I said that. Back to the show. We want bananas. We want grapes. We want chocolate milk. We want French toast. So while I'm cooking, I give her the first unit. And she's at that point about 120. Not many minutes later, they sit down at the table while I'm cooking. And so I give them the bananas and the grapes and everything right then. As soon as I give that to her, I pre-bolus again. Now it's a bigger uh, bolus. It's four units now. I'm still cooking. Yeah. And, and, and then by the time the, the food comes out, she's 90 and she's falling. And I have, okay. I've given her you know, a significant amount of insulin for her at this point, but still I'm also about to put on a significant amount of carbs. And so not 25 minutes, not 20 minutes later while they're eating, she's like, can I get more French toast? So I gave her more French toast and I also bolus two more units. Okay. Five minutes later, can we cut up another banana for everybody? I cut up another banana and I gave her another unit of insulin. And then okay. I was like, all right, the, the eating's done. I don't think I have quite enough insulin going, but I don't want to keep bolusing here. So I set a temp basal um, increase just for a half an hour, doubled her, her basal for a half an hour. Now okay. this starts at 9 a.m. And at 12.20, I did a finger stick. She was 97. She never went over, oh, never went over 130. Perfect. And, 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 but when you look at it on the graph with arrows where like this is where insulin went in, this is where food went in, I think it makes a lot more sense to someone who's trying to understand it because well, that's what Ponder's doing, right? I right. Mean, it's it's di reacting dynamically instead of statically, and of course, all those endos all around the country are going to think, "Oh, you're stacking insulin. That's just crazy." Well, it's not crazy at all. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I don't know about you, Terry, but I say this a lot, and I'll say it here too. Without the CGM, I'm not that ballsy probably with all yes. that insulin you, you know i mean just i probably yes. 
I, I would have been more heavy handed because of the food, but we would have been testing a lot more and I would have, I still would have ended up erring on the side of caution. There's two units in there that my daughter definitely needed that I don't think I would have had the nerve to give without the glucose monitor. Well, you're, you're, you're playing a little bit different game with me with more carbs and you're doing it well. And that, I, I think there's lots of different ways to deal with diabetes. But what, one thing, getting back to the, the pre-bolusing, I learned, I eat two meals a day. I eat a, a late breakfast and, mm-hmm. and an early dinner. Yeah. And then I have a couple snacks, usually nuts. But I found with the, with the first meal in the morning, it takes an hour for my CGM line to come down. I used to routinely, you know, take, take my insulin and then eat 15 minutes later. Well, that just wasn't enough time because my body is putting on, I have some, I have some relative insulin resistance in the morning. It's just part of natural physiology. But when I eat after an hour, I have good results afterwards. I see that in the morning every once in a while too. Yeah. And it's all, it's important for me to say, my daughter's not having a stack of French toast every morning. You know, it was a, a sleepover thing. It was a, you know, there's yeah, a bunch of girls good here. good for you that you can deal with it. Yeah, but that, to your point, mouth. that's from, that's from countless attempts and failures and remembering what happened. And, you know, what, well, you're, yes. you're plotting data. I'm stacking it in my head. It's kind of how my brain works until, yeah. until, because all those decisions I made about that insulin were based on no math really at all. It was yes. just my, like, okay, there's this much bread. You know what I mean? It's the art part of it yeah. more than the science, and it's a combination of the two. Yeah, yeah it's cert- I, and it certainly has to be, I think. I think eventually. Other techniques I use, I, I do a, uh, uh, two boluses for every meal. I do an immediate bolus based on carbs, and then I do an extended bolus based on protein and fat. Okay. And uh, So, like, my typical breakfast, I'll dose, like, uh, I have a relatively aggressive uh, insulin to carb ratio in the morning. It's only one to four, and I have twelve grams of carbs. So I'll, I'll dose three units for my for my carbs, and then I'll dose like two units over two hours to take care of the fat and protein. As an extended bolus, so is that as an extended is, bolus? That's zero percent up front. The balance over two hours. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Do, I. Some people do this in one transaction where the, the pump is asking you to divide it in a percentage fashion. Right, right. I don't do that. I separate the two transactions completely because I think that that mucks up the math and, and, and obscures the, your understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Deliver your carb bolus, get it out of the way, and then do an extended bolus. Uh, and it, right, I deliver zero. Per, it, it asked me if I want a percentage divide. Yeah, I deliver zero percent up front and then I extend the rest over two so, hours. So it takes that, that two units and breaks it up equally over two hours. Right. And I basically, I learned this online. I couldn't believe these were, these were like young adults who grew up as you know, children with diabetes, like your daughter. Right. And they started putting some of this stuff together. And this was back in the 2012 period. I came upon this group online that was doing, doing this. They called a tag, total available glucose based on a book written by a dietitian, like back in the seventies. Huh. Because if you have low carbs, your body will naturally turn some of your protein into glucose. Yeah. And fat has some nutritional value as well. It's a little bit more complicated uh, metabolically. Um, so I, I dose for uh, uh, 50% of my protein grams and 10% of my fat grams. And then I call those equivalent carb grams. Mm-hmm. Uh, divide them by my insulin to carb ratio. And then I space them out over time so that I don't deliver more than 1.2 units per hour. Wow. Uh, sometimes, like for a steak dinner, this could go out five hours or six hours. And you have good, you, that, these are deep cuts, what you're oh, doing. Well, this here, is Tar- excellent. Yeah. And, and this extended bolus, it's a very forgiving technique to experiment with because you're, it's, it's an immediate bolus. You've got this flood of insulin all at once. Then the bolus, it's just like, it's like more like a temp basil. It's, it's, it's very kind. And you can always bail on it too if it's, if it's going. And I, that's the other technique yeah, I use. Yeah. If, if my, if, let's say I eat the steak and I got a five hour uh, extended bolus going on, and at hour four, I'm like back to 90 and I still have insulin on board. And I, uh, you know, I, I'll kill it. I'll just, I'll just kill it because it's, 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 a, it's a bolus you can take away, which you don't get that chance once you deliver an immediate one. There. That's right. Yeah. I, you know, so right now, so you and I got on 35 minutes ago. So 40 minutes ago, Arden's uh, was ready for lunch, her, her pre-bolus for lunch. So she's still sitting in her science class at 1225. 
not going to start eating until 1240. And she's got to leave that class, walk through the halls, get herself set up and start eating in those 15 minutes. So when she's 96, it's a little, I'm a little, you know, leery. I don't want to dump her entire her entire bolus into her. And then, you know, what if something happens while she's walking through the hall or something like that? So we didn't, we didn't extend it here too. We, and it was very similar and yet not, not similar at all. So I gave her 50% when we bolus, it's a six and a half unit bolus. I gave her 50% then and 50% over 30 minutes. Over 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, So that's a variation of that. It's a lot more aggressive, but it could, uh, it could allow you to pull the plug if something happened, if she, if the power went out at school and the kitchen couldn't serve the food or something, we could bail could on bail. it. Right. And it gives me enough time that, you know, understanding how the insulin works in her and the timing of it, it gives me enough time to make another decision. And now here we are, I'm one fifteen, So now I'm 50 minutes past the bolus and she's 91. She's nice and steady. Okay. And so, but, but if she was, if that was, if that was slightly different, if she was 80, then I would have taken, I would have only given her probably 35 or 40% of the insulin right then. And I would have taken the extended bolus and switched it over an hour instead of a half sure. an hour. And, and it's just, and again, learning that, like you said, I learned it by trying it, you know, not, no one yes. taught it to me. Any of, these sure. techniques, any of these techniques that you read in books and stuff, you do have to customize it for yourself. Another technique that I've used pretty regularly is the super bolus. Where, where you borrow from some of your immediate future basil, and then you, you give it as an immediate bolus, and then you pay it back. By, by cutting away the by basil. By doing a t- temp, temp basil 0% for, say, an hour and a half. Um, and that's, that works pretty well, too. If I find I'm eating a meal that tends to get ahead of my immediate bolus, tends to outrun it a little bit early, mm-hmm. I'll do the super bolus, and that'll, that'll rein it in. I, I'll tell you, just the other night, Arden's blood, she's, like I said, she's growing lately, so... Uh, coming up on bedtime, her blood sugar was, I, I called it sticky. Like it was just stuck at 150. I couldn't get it to move. I gave her enough insulin to, you know, to move it to negative 300. And it just sat there and sat there. And so finally, I I thought I waited long enough. And I was like, all right. I said, we have to do more again. And I just go ahead and do, and I and we bolused again. And you know, it felt like, Terry, it felt like I pushed the button, the bolus delivered, and then the CGM turned down and started going down. I was like, yes. damn. And so we cut her basil off for um, like an hour and a half, actually, to make up for that. So it, it wasn't a super bolus in the in the traditional sense, but it, it actually was. A te- it was a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brake sign. I, I look at it as either you have a gas pedal and you have a brake pedal, and you need to use both. Yeah, I, I wish more people could think of it. More like that. It, well, it's so is, easy once you get it in your head like that. All these tactics, once I figured out that the, these could all work, and I just, you know, I basically employed them and really exploited them in the last four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, I, I associate with people online, and I also go to some diabetes conferences. So the, the one I went to last year was the Diabetes Unconference, uh-huh. um, which is uh, for adults. Uh, with type one, oh, actually, adults with diabetes, type one and type two. But a lot of the time, they spend talking about emotional coping things, which is which is all well and good. But I sat there last March and listening to these stories, and and my blood sugar was like ninety five and going sideways, hour after hour, <laughs> and I was feeling good, and I thought, you know, I'm not having these emotional problems. I've had diabetes for 32 years. It's, it's all day, every day, no vacation. I've had the same stresses. I've gone through personal problems with diabetes, uh, you know, other problems not related to diabetes and other losses that you go through in your life. I said, I don't have these problems anymore. And it's, it's all about the tactics. Well, I think if, what, I think what your, your, your bigger thing here is that once you have a handle on it, a lot of the emotional stuff sort of goes away. It goes away. Right goes away. You're having and, those reactions because things are going so poorly well, most of the time. One of the things, like back when I went through my crisis, back just before 2012, um, I felt like everything was out of control, out of my hands. I was, I was in victim mode. And when I learned the tactics with controlling the blood sugar, I felt like I was in control. Yeah. I felt like I was winning. And People use different uh, psychological uh, aids and stuff for, for, for uh, uh, thinking of diabetes. I think of diabetes as my mortal enemy. <laughs> and 
it will take advantage of whatever opening I give it, and it will do nasty stuff to me. And some people say, well, how could you hate something that's part of yourself? I says, I don't look at it as part of myself. I look at it as the enemy. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, kick butt and take names as much as I can. I think, I think that whatever attitude helps you is the right attitude. And, and, and that many times, and it is very difficult to judge, generally speaking, uh, uh, other people. And, and I very much yes. try not to do that. But I can say that for me, you know, my attitude is most of why it goes well. You know, like I, yeah. I even said, I've said recently, you know, once I realized I could keep Arden's blood sugar steady at 150, I was like, well, I wonder if I, why would I not just be able to keep it steady at 110? Like, what is the difference between that? Yeah. And then I moved the line on her. You know, you move the high, the high threshold line on the Dexcom, and you realize yeah. that your expectation sometimes gets you what you expect. You know, I know it's a very oversimplification, but you know, sometimes you get what you expect. Well, this, is, this relates to something that I see all the time, or I see in myself. When I started watching the data on some level below the radar, it engaged me to want to influence that data. I wanted to move it in the right in, in a good direction. Just the mere the mere act of watching it, and without even seeing doing any seemingly obvious things like going out for extra exercise or cutting back on the number of carbs, without doing anything else, just watching it had a good effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, being and aware just, and proactive. I I just got done speaking to someone on the phone recently, and maybe they'll be listening and think, "Oh, that was me." But uh, I I. I was trying to think of a way to put it to them that that made sense, and I and I said to them, I'm like, you know, I think everything you're doing is defensive. The diabetes does something, and you react to it. The diabetes right. does something, you react to it. And I said, so all the data you get back is kind of not helpful. I said, I'd rather see you attack it, and then at least if you do the wrong thing, at least you'll know I did A and B happen, and then you can use that information going forward, kind of go on the offense a little bit. You make it react to you, and then you'll you can adjust yourself and and find yes. and make it react the way you want it to more frequently. You know. Uh, another thing that you brought up in, the, in one of the podcasts was this this uh, the word nudge. Oh please. And P Pond Pondra uses that a lot. And when you're going sideways with your blood glucose, if if you want to nudge it down or nudge it up, it just takes a small input. Mm -hmm. It's almost like uh, that whole idea, you know, body in motion stays in motion. You just, it's almost like, you know, like, like uh, Taekwondo fighters and stuff. They use the energy of their opponent to, the, to, the, to their benefit. Uh, and it's the same way if you just give it a little nudge of insulin, it'll come down pretty easily. Or you give it a, a little nudge of walking, uh, you know, it'll come down as well. Or you give it, a, you know, a half a glucose tab and it responds. And it's just... Uh, yeah, you, you, you're not trying easier. to, you, instead of panicking and pushing it in directions, you just, they're just trying to keep it where it's going. I mean, it's. With small, small moves. Small little bumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small Wait, moves. No, I please. You, listen and you to can her. do that when you're going sideways. If you're going up or down on a rapid rate, that, that thing has a head of steam that's going to take a lot more energy to change direction. Right. That's just, you think about just, you know, Newtonian physics. That's just the way, the way things, the way bodies move in the world. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, listen, you put a car in your driveway and put it in neutral, you can push it. Yes. <laughs> you, know, you start yes. driving it towards yourself and you're stuck. You, you know, it's how much energy is happening or not happening. And and really, it's it, it happens all the time. You know, I will, you know, you talked about like eating when, the, when, when your blood sugar is bending, when it's going low. And the same thing is if we give insulin for a meal and in a certain range after the meal, it starts going up too much, then I quickly make the assumption I've miscalculated something along the way, yes. you know, because on a, because you, you know, you hear in the French toast discussion, I know if I put the insulin in, in the right amounts at the right time, the blood sugar will stay. And so, you know, it'll stay where I want it to stay. So if it's not staying, then I've either mistimed it or not used enough. Yeah. So and one other point I wanted to get in before we come to an end here. It's a, it's a matter of philosophy as well. I, I didn't learn this till 28 years into this journey. Um, I had retired and I had this diabetes complication diagnosis. I had been years in crisis with my blood sugar, you know, frantically looking for a solution. Um, 
once I figured out, I just started discovering some things like carb limiting and the more advanced pump techniques and, and the consistent walking and stuff. Um, I, there's, there's, a, there's a decision that we're all faced with when we get the diagnosis of diabetes. And that decision is, is how am I going to allocate my time? How am I going to split my time between what diabetes, want, diabetes wants and what my family and my career and other things want? Right. And the, the, the decision I made early on is I want to do as little as possible and have it be effective so I can spend the, the lion's share of the majority of my time with my life. Absolutely. And when I got to this diabetes complication diagnosis back in 2012, I, I just retired. And I thought, you know what? My, my, the strong card in my hand right now is time. I have the luxury of not having to go to a job. So I decided I was going to give it all the time it wanted. Uh, so I made this, this uh, a different uh, uh, split decision. I said I was going to do whatever it took and whatever time was left over, I was going to use for the rest of my life. And I, I think the, the impression that most people get is that diabetes, is, is, it's, like a, it's like an endless, bottomless pit. It will, it'll keep asking for more and more and more. It'll, it's like a demanding thing that never stops. And I found that you do get to the, the bottom of the, the so-called bottomless pit. It, it's a finite list of things that diabetes wants. And if you, if you just give it all that it wants, you eventually start turning some of those things that you're, your, your tactics that you're doing, you, you start turning that into habit and you find you're rewarded with all this time that you can now pay attention to, to your so-called real life. Right, right. Uh, so trying to limit diabetes, oh, I'm not going to give it that much attention. I don't want to stick my finger eight times a day. I'm only doing a four and that's it. Because it'll, if I give it eight, it's going to want 12. If I give it 12, it's going to want 24. Well, you know what? There is an end to that. I'm, I'm here to tell you. And sometimes giving it everything it needs for a short period of time will, will pay huge dividends. Well, yeah, you're, you're point, I can't, I can't agree enough with what you just said, because it would be easy to listen to my description of, you know, the insulin going in for the French test. Oh my gosh, so much effort. But the effort only existed over about 20 minutes while I was cooking. And then for the next three hours, I didn't have to think about the diabetes once. If I would have undervalued how much insulin she needed for a big carb heavy meal like that, we would have spent the next four and five hours in stress bolusing, hoping she didn't crash, there would have been so much more effort and toil that would have went into it than, than, than not, I think. I think yeah. so. Well, you, I look, you know I look what I mean? at what, what you've done with devoting all your time to your daughter's metabolic needs. I salute. I think you are doing your daughter such a big favor that she's not going to fully appreciate for years. But sometime in her adult life, it's, the, the, the bell's going to go off. She's going to go, Oh my God. Oh, if Terry, my dad you know just what'll happen. I'll drop dead three days before she figures it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've learned how to you've actually put a lot of effort into something and it's paying dividends. Well that's and nice you're you you're say. seeing it and you you know that you're doing your daughter a big favor and that knowledge alone is is more than worth it. Right, you're very kind and that and I'm hoping that a little bit of that rubs off on her. That's why we you know, we do it together, but I don't force it down her throat. Like I want her to see what's happening. So we, and I, yeah, and that's the, you know, I've participated in a couple uh, parents groups, and that's the pushback I get from the other side of the argument. They say, "Well, you're just going to create eating eating abnormalities, and you're going to you're trying to make them perfect, and and they're going to get psychotic about it." Um, I don't think that's necessarily so. I think there's an thing like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, she, you're letting her eat French toast and bananas. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, she, I, I don't, I don't. If you asked her, are you deprived? Maybe she would say a little bit, but I, I have a feeling she doesn't. Listen, I left it out, but I let her sprinkle powdered sugar on the French toast too. So sure, it, well, it, sugar's it was, not bad. Yeah, so it was, you know, but it's, it's. I mean, when you're just taking a small fork and wisping powdered sugar over top of French toast, like you know, if you're if you're trying to figure out how many carbs that is. You're lost. You just need to, you know, I, I used in that situation, I used basically it's the same way I do Chinese food too. It's the idea of the last time we ate this much food of this type, it took about this much insulin. So yes. let's start with that idea. Are you yeah. working from memory? Or are you keeping notes? Or are you just I don't write you anything. Remember? It's all memory. It really all is. Memory. Yeah, I just, so. I don't have that kind of mind. Um, but you, 
you have an even better, handier one though, because you can you can remember enough, and you're you're not afraid to experiment. That's you, you know people that that write online. Well, I have to wait. I have to go to see my doctor so I can change my basils, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I would never give the doctor that authority. Right now, uh, we just changed um her. You know, there's an an amount of insulin I allow the pump to give her before it won't. You know, it won't let her give her too, herself too much. And yes. just this morning I changed it. I, I bumped it up by like, I think three quarters of a unit because I, you know, I've been seeing lately where I was like, you know, I, I had to have her throw on a couple of like temp basal increases just because I needed her to get more insulin and I didn't have the ability to go over the certain number. So I just moved it, you know, and it's yes. fine. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. You work it out. Like, you know, it, 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 after stuff starts making sense after a while, I can't. I I couldn't agree with you more. Like I'm not going to wait three months to go ask a doctor what they think because you know what they always say. They always go, "Yeah, it's fine." You know what? And this is what I what I've discovered. First, I was angry. With, first, I was looking at them to be my savior, and then when I discovered the solution, and they and I realized they never knew the solution, I became very angry. And then I've been then I become kinder, and I think you know what? I know way more about dosing insulin than they ever will. And I think I mentioned to you in one of my emails, I have over 280,000 hours of living with diabetes and treating with insulin. Right. It makes my, sense that you know better. My comparison is I have a postdoc experience, uh, you know, degree, and, and and they're still in grade school. And I would, like, I would never take, I mean, you know, other people are doc, like Dr. Ponder. There are other doctors that, that uh, exceptional doctors that they have more experience. But the ones that you see patients every three months, they don't know about insulin dosing. They know the general the generalities. It's tough. It's the math part of it, which doesn't, which is a good. It's the math portion is a good leaping in point, but it's just yes. the beginning of it. It's the very very beginning of it, and you can't, you know, you just can't. That's not where you live. You can't live there the whole time. It's you know. It's nuts. You know, the, my, the episode I put up last week is called, um, like getting off the diabetes roller coaster. And it's with this woman named Bethany. And we're talking about her son. I, I, I listened to that. Okay. One. So I yeah. spoke to Bethany the other day by text message. She went to her, her endo appointment, the kids, a one C, I don't want to get, you know, exact numbers, but was significantly better than it was prior. Oh my gosh. And she showed the doctor these nice level graphs. And the doctor was like, wow, how did you, you know, how did you do this? And she started telling her, well, you know, we're pre-bolusing now and we're doing this. And, and, um, and, and, and this is how I got the A1C. And the woman's very proud of herself. And the doctor goes, well, I think the A1C is too low. Oh, God. And so, oh, I she, hate that. so she's devastated. At the same time, another mom that I spoke to recently had a very similar thing. You know, real proud of herself. She's got, the, she's got her, her, her graphs looking the way she wants them. And she goes to the doctor, how did you accomplish this? Well, I'm pre-bolusing now and I'm doing this. And she said, our practice does not recommend pre-bolusing for children your, your child's oh, age. Oh, gosh. And so they both left the office with the idea that my doctor wants my, my kid's A1C to be higher. And, and, and the other person left with the idea that the doctor would prefer rocky up and down blood sugars to nice and stable because pre-bolusing scared the doctor. Well, they are unduly fearful of hypoglycemia. I, they're hypophobic, and they don't realize that there exist cases of people who have low A1Cs and also a low percentage of time in the hypozone. Um, I read a, I brought the study to my doctor, and it showed a graph on a CGM of a, a representative non-diabetic person, and that non-diabetic person spent five percent of their time in hypoglycemia on average every day. Mm -hmm. They would dip down to 60, 65, and they'd hang out there for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes and come back up. And it was going on regularly. So my, my doctor was cautioning me about this, the basis of A1C. And I said, wait a second. I said, if a non-diabetic can spend 5% of their time hypo, mildly hypo, not, not like less than 30 or right, something, right, right, right. 40, um, why can't I? And, you know, I talk, like right now, I, I have, I spend 3% of my time. That's about 45 minutes a day below 65. Yeah. Um, and I think it was the first time the doctor had seen that, had heard that question posed that way. She says, yeah, she says, I wore a CGM once and I, I and she's not diabetic. She says, yeah, I did spend, I did spend uh, four or 5% of my time down, down below, uh, below 70. 
And uh, so she, she saw the way giving you that advice. (laughs) Basically, basically telling them in so many words, back off. Yeah. If non-diabetics get this leeway, I want this leeway too. And if I can show a low standard deviation, that means I'm, I'm not highly variable. I'm not diving into hypoglycemia. I'm floating into hypoglycemia. It's not acute. It's just something I have to notice and, and, and have a half a glucose tab or two glucose tabs and turn it around. Because 65 and a bunch of insulin on board is a different situation, but 65 and very steady for a long period of time. Last night, Arden's blood sugar was 72 last night for an hour. And I didn't That's, want it. It was like 1.30 in the morning. I certainly didn't want her to be that low while she was sleeping. It, it made me a little uncomfortable to close my eyes. Yeah. But I wasn't going to do something drastic because I know she's also growing. And I know at 3 a.m. her blood sugar is going up one way or the other. And But I also don't want her to dip down and get too low. So I cut too her low, basal yeah. back a little bit. And I try, and I just got it to yeah. drift up a little bit. You know, and... Yes, perfect. Yeah. And I, don't, I think 72 is, is a very normal blood glucose for a lot of people. Yeah, she just had a little insulin left over, and I knew it wasn't going to hold. Like, yeah. I knew if I didn't bump it up, it was going to go down. And, and right. that, But if you had ever reacted with four or five glucose tabs or a whole juice She would have been box, 250 in no time. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's what the, the normal uh, the clinicians would tell you to do. And I think that, the, that they're just, they're head in the sand. They're, they're operating from a defensive medical position. But it is not good for you physically. Yeah, it's a very, um, it's it's very indicative of how um, how Sue happy the country is because they would rather right. you die slowly over time, <laughs> so that you right. can't come back to them and say, "Hey, right. I took your advice and my kid's blood sugar got really low." Yeah. And so I, you, know. you know, I'm basically when I see my doctor, I, I I don't want insulin dosing blood sugar advice. You know, I. I I don't want it. It's a waste of it's a waste of her time, waste of my time because I know how to do this. I would rather her spend time on. Well, let's see, your liver numbers did this, or or your your uh, your GFR for your kidneys is 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 this this number. I'd rather spend time talking about that stuff that that leverages their knowledge. Um, and I don't want any suggestions about what I should do about my insulin because I just. You know why? Why would uh, why would an architect you know take suggestions from a kindergartner playing with building blocks? You I know? N- I never give my daughter the idea that the doctor is not somebody we should listen to. But even at this point, after n- coming up on nine years, or nine she's coming up on ten years, I think she thinks of the doctor's office as the place where the A one C machine is. Like honestly, you know, I mean, I sometimes we leave and she's like, "Why did we go there?" I know. <laughs> so well, I. I've often said myself that if, if I could write my own scripts, I I don't think I would go to the doctor That's as often. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would maybe go once a year because I don't I don't I don't need the advice, you know. Yeah, no, I I completely understand. Listen, we're we're right up on an hour, so I can't sure. I I know this took us a while to get together, and I can't believe how good you sounded because you live on a boat, right? I do. Yeah, so, I do. So I'm talking to you. You're 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 in the water. You're technically. Uh, yes, I'm uh, tied up at a slip at a marina in uh, on San Francisco Bay. Very nice. That uh, sounds much nicer than what I'm looking at outside, which is snow. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that's 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 my story. I, there was probably a hundred other hundred other things we could have talked about, but I I, I was intrigued by your uh, your conversations and your topics, and uh, you're coming at this whole thing from a different angle because you're 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 controlling diabetes and uh, and another person, which to me is kind of mysterious. Um, but we have a lot of overlap and and the things that we were interested in. That's so I, that's why I wanted to have you on too, because it's such a, it's such a interesting idea to hear, you know, a person who lives with it, who's dealing with it in the way I am. And like you said, for me, like I don't have diabetes. I genuinely, anything I'm doing, I'm, I'm just, it's stuff I've learned over time. It's nothing I know intuitively. It's, you know, it's but you a, have a stake in the in the outcome, so that changes everything. When it's your flesh or the flesh of your one of your loved ones, that changes the whole outlook and what's going on. I take I, mean, I take my uh, mind. yeah. I take my decision to have children with my my with my wife very seriously. So yes. you know, I I didn't I definitely didn't bring them here to th- like fling them out in the front yard and go okay go get it. You know, you know I'm going to help them when I can and. And keep them as safe and as happy and as yeah. healthy. As so your can. motivation to learn about diabetes is similar to mine. It just—it just it took me 28 years to figure it out. It's very, you know what? It's not just similar. It's—it's it's almost perfectly the same. It's 
you're trying to keep yourself alive and healthy. And I, for the lack of a better way of saying it, don't want to, I don't want my daughter to die before me. You know, well, you want to you want to do what most parents you want to give them their health when nice, they long, when they go life. out on their own. Just say, okay, here it's your responsibility now. I've 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 guarded this all these years, and yep. so I've I'm I've been a good custodian, a good steward of your health, and here it is. Right, right. I think you know what I think is interesting is that if you don't help your kids with school, and you know, and they falter a little at school, but it's not too bad, and they graduate, you feel good about it. When they're when they're thirty five, and they can't find a decent job. In your 60s, you don't say to yourself, well, you know, that was me, I guess. You know, I didn't really make them right. go to school as much. You, you get the, the benefit of time. You can kind of write yourself a free pass. But if 30 years from now, Harden has significant, you know, uh, you know, issues based on having diabetes, and I have not put my entire effort into it, I don't know how I'm going to not say to myself, that's, that's me. You, you know what I mean? Like I did that. Yeah. Your conscience will be free and clear. You've, you've done way more than the, the average person would do. And you made that, that decision on your life versus your daughter's health. You made that decision in favor of your daughter, which is admirable. That's how I feel about it. I, and, and, and not like, not to say that everything we're doing, she might not still have complications. I'm not saying that. Yeah, Just, you could still have complications even yeah. with perfect blood sugar. Right, right. But I'm I'm saying that when they happen, I will just be burdened with the sadness of the complications, not sadness right. and, and guilt. So, right. You know, I'm just trying to give her the best chance she has. And it's what you're doing for yourself. So good for you, man. That's really fantastic. Yeah, it was uh, good. To, uh, you don't often get to talk to people about uh, about a topic like this because that that if they don't have an, their own stake, their own personal interests. Um, I think a lot of a lot of non-diabetics would look at my interest in this as like, well, that's kind of a strange hobby. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said he enjoyed the numbers at one point. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I do. I get on a roll. You know, I get on a ninety-five going sideways for hours. I, I mean, that's that's like a big deal to me. I'm crushing it. You know. Is your diabetes equivalent of driving with your knee? Is it? <laughs> You're just cruising yeah, along with the window. Yes. Just, yeah, just yeah. Well, I I look at it as yeah, just more like flying. Yeah. That's you want excellent. to keep a constant altitude, and you you want to be above the ground, and you want to be below the uh, too high that you can't you know you need oxygen or something. Now, I love your attitude, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. Scott, it's great. Yeah, keep up the good work, and uh, I hope you continue to have good luck with your daughter. No, you're very kind. Same back to you. I told you Terry was fantastic, right? Okay. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. Find me on social media at Arden's Day or at Juicebox Podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, please, please, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. It helps the podcast. Huge thank you to Omnipod for sponsoring the show. Again, please go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox to learn more and to get an absolutely free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod sent directly to you. There will always be links in the show notes of your podcast player for all of the sponsors as well as at juiceboxpodcast.com. Terry lives on a boat. How cool is that?